put in my house. If I water, gonna make so, me shy. You had me go see Wakanda with you as a condition for doing this podcast. So I made a condition. And it took how many months to see Wakanda? Probably about four months or yeah, three months. About four months. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm not gonna still jump on Wakanda forever or the Black Panther. But uh, it's glad to have you on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Hello, everyone. I am Mosibel, and this is the Mosibel Podcast. Hello everyone, this is the Morsible Podcast. It's a podcast about culture, cultural nomads designed for blacks and Asians and those who love them. I'm your host, Morsible, and I have a wonderful guest and a friend and someone I really, really love and respect so much. I actually have the honors of having them in my apartment today. We just had tea and, and dinner together. I met this person about two years ago, but I've heard about them before then because my mentor and this person went to school together. So it's my honor to invite Dr. Loredis Planas to the podcast. Hi, Loredis. <laughs> Hello, I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. Away from your kids, to myself, what an honor. How are you feeling? I'm feeling very good today in your presence. Oh, so stop it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really, really happy to have you. And um, for those listening, Dr. Lourdes Planas is a pharmacist. She has a PhD in um, social and administrative pharmacy. And she works at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center as um, in the College of Pharmacy. And she's an associate professor. She's also the advisor for SNAFA, which is the Student National Pharmaceutical Association. Yeah, thank you. I should know that because I'm I'm a co-advisor as well and she does all the work and I just write you know on the coattails for that but um Lourdes is amazing in so many ways um when you start a new job especially as a junior faculty you need a lot of support that you can get and moving here to Oklahoma not knowing anyone it was initially it was a bit you know um worrying and difficult but I mean meeting Lourdes and just how we've connected has made a lot of things very easy for me so I want to say thank you for that Lourdes you're welcome and thank you for being in my life oh <laughs> Right, the wicked right. So let's get to it. So tell me a little bit more about you. So I know you're Cuban. Mm-hmm. But you don't look Cuban, yeah. whatever that means. And we've talked about that before, where people say, you don't look Hispanic and you start speaking Spanish. What has it been like for you being, I mean, I wouldn't call you like an immigrant, right? Even though you are. It gets tricky. Yeah. Because, okay. yeah, because I was born in Havana, Cuba. And then, Havana, um, oh, na, na. Ooh. Uh, my heart is in Havana, oh, na, na. Yeah. Havana, oh, na, na. Hey. Have my heart is in do you like that song? I love it. I heard it today. I could, I, I have to you dance watch every time video. I hear it. Yes. They I have know. like a, a, a cheesy um, telenovela. I've seen video. it, yeah. So Havana, Cuba. Yep, Havana, wow. Cuba. And um, my parents moved to the United States when I was just one month old. Uh, I have this kind of nostalgia thing with Cuba. You know, I'm Cuban, technically, yeah, yeah. but I still never grew up there or anything. But my parents did their best in New Orleans to um, to have the culture around us. You know, we always spoke Spanish at home. I only had Cuban food. I had to beg for mashed potatoes and things like that. Really? Yes. <laughs> Boy, it's kind of funny, though, because when I think about the geography of the U.S., most Cubans are concentrated in Florida, Miami. Mm-hmm. Why New Orleans? Did you guys miss the boat or something? Yeah, what happened? What <laughs> happened is that we we flew to Miami, mm-hmm. and there was no housing for us uh, because we were uh, looking for. You know, we would had to be on government assistance for housing. Mm. There was no housing in Miami. When well, was that? 1970s. 1968. Uh, it was January of 1968. Yeah, very close. And um, uh, my father's uncle and aunt lived in New Orleans. Mm. So basically, so this is my, my father's mother's siblings at the time living in New Orleans. So we, we had that connection. So that's, why we, that's how we got from Miami to New Orleans. 
And then, you know, we stayed there and never went back to Miami. Just stayed in New Orleans. Oh, wow. So, because I know, like, Miami to Cuba is probably not too far away. But then given, like, the unrest and, you know, history of communism in Cuba, you probably couldn't even go back when you became conscious of your heritage. Right, yeah. There wasn't, like, summer holidays in in Cuba to go to Mm because it was kind of hard to go, you know, go back given, like, the relationship between Cuba and the U.S. then. Mm-hmm, exactly. So what was it like for you growing up in New Orleans? And I don't want to think that they are, I don't think... Well, let me back up a little bit. Based on my limited knowledge of New Orleans, there are not many Hispanic people there, correct? There are not many. Yeah. And, and there's certainly a lot more now than there were when really? I was growing yeah. up. One of the things, I think, in New Orleans, people, they talk about pre-K and post-K, meaning before Katrina and after Katrina. <laughs> really? Not pre-kindergarten. Right. Exactly, I know. But for, for me, it would be like before Mariel, the Mariel boat lift, and after the Mariel boat lift. So, because um, things what's really Mariel changed. boat lift? Well, this happened in the early 80s. There was a time when... Castro um, kind of oh. emptied, literally emptied out some of the, the jail cells, and a lot of Cubans wanted to flee the island. And so um, Carter was president, and then there was a negotiation where a lot of uh, Cubans were able to come to the U.S., but a lot of them were actually criminals that were coming over. And so it, it was one of those things where, um, politically speaking, I you know to be Cuban was, the way I perceived oh, it, I, I felt... I became embarrassed that I was Cuban because everywhere you look on the news, there was crime and people were complaining about it. It was in the newspaper. We had some racist neighbors who would make comments. So that that was a very vivid um, time for me. And I think uh. I was about um, maybe 12. So but before that, it really was not a big deal. I could kind of like what you might call pass mm. in, in the sense that I mean, I speak English without a Spanish accent. I would just be at school with my friends and nothing would ever come up. It might come up in a conversation now and then, but, you know, I didn't wear my, my uh, nationality on, on my sleeve. Yeah. But then after that, I got this negative image of being Cuban from society. I see. And it, it, was, uh, it'd be, it, kind of, it, it was a struggle with me with my connection at home and then, and then seeing how the world was perceiving Cubans at that time. It, it kind of it was dangerous to be on to, me. To, to identify as Cuban then. Mm-hmm. So I have a friend who is Mexican and she doesn't look here. Like I mean, phenotypically she doesn't look Mexican. And she tells me like sometimes her friends like they make like very horrible racist jokes about Mexico mm-hmm. and they don't even know she's Mexican. Mm-hmm. And she looks at them like, does that happen? Like did that ever happen to you when people like talk about Cubans or you know Hispanic? And you're like, uh, I'm Hispanic. <laughs> You know, the funny thing is is that I don't remember that ever happening. So mm. I've, I've been fortunate that way. But I use it to my advantage in the other direction in that if I'm at a grocery store or something and someone says something about me in Spanish, then I know what they're saying. So, <laughs> so you like sneak behind them like, I can I hear you. Exactly. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, one thing I forgot to mention is that um, Lourdes is a proud mom of two kids and her daughter is a graceful ballerina. I mean, she's like a triple threat. She sings, she dances, she acts. I've been to her singing recitals, which, you know, Lourdes invites me to and I try to be part of the family. And um, she also you has are. a son. <laughs> Thanks. Mm-hmm. And her wonderful son. She has very creative kids and she's also happily married to Rick. Yeah, I love her family so much. I really her kids. They're like, you know, very joyous to be around. And so back to... Um, just, you know, your heritage. What was it like for you, like, sense of belonging, you know? You were Cuban, but you mm-hmm. couldn't really fully appreciate it at a period of your time, of, of your life because of so many things that were happening externally. But as far as your family structure, did you have other people move here with you guys when your parents moved to the U.S.? We were, we were very fortunate in that um, my father, uh, you know, became my, my mother, my father, and me. 
my father's parents yeah. moved with us, and um, my father's mother had um, a lot of siblings, and um, two two of them were in New Orleans. And then you know, once they have kids and they have kids, I had a lot of cousins around me, so we we were always were very very close. I mean, technically we're like third cousins or something, but mm. we were always with my you know my American friends. They would ask me about it and be like, "Well, that I, I'd figure it out." They're like my third cousin. They'd be like, "Wow, we don't even talk to our third cousins." And to we never talked to our first cousins. Yeah, that was so weird to me. But yeah, we, we were very fortunate in that way. Um, um, but at the same time, you know, we were not in the same grades, oh. so I I, ne- I wasn't in the same grade with any of my cousins. So it's not like I I, I might see them at school, but um, we wouldn't be in classes together, together or anything yeah. like that. Um, so we went to different churches and things. So mm. we we might to get we we get together for birthdays and, and occasionally things like that. Things like that. Yeah. But at school, um, and, and I think a lot of my um, uh, my friends didn't really realize that we were cousins because we all had different last names. Yeah. You know, because of like you know the woman marries and you lose the last name yeah. and so forth. Mm. But um, but yeah, it was really it was really nice. I mean, I I'm, I enjoyed my uh, my gr- growing up in New Orleans. And one of the things that I think looking back now that I I sometimes. I'm happy about, it and I sometimes regret is is, is uh, missing Cuban society, um, the American version of Cuban society. Yeah. Because as a kid, we would visit Miami about every two or three years yeah. because um, my father had still so much family there. My mother later on had family there, and I would hang out with them, and it would I would go with anticipation like, oh, I can actually eat a Cuban sandwich. Mm-hmm. My parents told me about this because you can't get a Cuban sandwich in New Orleans. Yeah, I can actually go to a Cuban restaurant. I've had it one time, guys, and it's really really good. It's amazing. It is amazing. But yeah. if you're not in Tampa, and if yeah. you're not in Miami, yeah, don't don't order, don't, don't eat it anywhere else. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like Tex-Mex. Never eat it <laughs> outside of Texas. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I'd go there and 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 um. I would look forward to, to you know being around my heritage, and I would get around my cousins that were in Miami. Yeah. And we, when we would talk to each other, they would speak, and they had Spanish accents when they spoke English. Oh. It was interesting. And how did that make you feel? It. it well, yeah. It, part of it was like, oh, that's that's really neat. We sound different. But then the more I I talk with them, and I I start thinking, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm Cuban enough. Uh-huh. You know that it. Like, I'm not authentic. I'm not an authentic Cuban, or I'm not an authentic Cuban-American. What am I? Because I didn't meet the, th- the, the threshold of what I thought that, that they were living up to. Oh, my goodness. So, the thing that you went yeah. from trying to hide it to not thinking, I'm not even up to that enough. I'm not even Cuban enough. I don't feel Cuban enough. Mm-hmm. So how were you able to overcome that? Well, I think that I struggled with it pretty much through all of my um, adolescence. And I, I feel like I came to terms with it more so in my early adulthood i didn't have as many visits and so i was more in the stage of, of being around other people who were not cuban mm. and going through graduates going through college going through graduate school it didn't come up as much and ironically at the at the university of florida i was when i was there as a student in gainesville and i was happy like hey i'm in florida i get to see some cubans well it turns out every time that i talk to someone or a professor or find out that that there were cubans there mm-hmm. Most of the time, this is not every, but most of the time, they left after a semester or two because it was too much cultural shock for them oh to goodness. be there. And this is this was in Florida, right? Yeah. I mean, the distance between Florida and Cuba, as far as culture, wasn't wasn't as vast as compared to Cuba to like mm-hmm. New Orleans. And but it, they still had a lot of cultural shock. They did. Wow. And, and I lived I, I lived in Florida for for nine years, mm-hmm. and I truly love the state. 
Um, I actually only lived in Central and North Florida, and so this oh, is what I, I I think you can take you can take the state of Florida and and, and, and draw a line across where Orlando is, like the Panhandle area, or well, even just a little bit further south, yeah. like the middle of the state. You can you can draw a line there, and north of it is north. You know, north of Orlando, it's the south. Yeah. South of Orlando, it's it's more like Miami yeah. and Tampa, and it's a different vibe, and there are a lot more um, immigrants and. Um, just a lot more diversity. Diversity, yeah. As um, far as people. Yeah, I think one of the things that really made me feel more comfortable just uh, being being Cuban and just being around Americans who are not Hispanic was when I I worked as a pharmacist and um, mostly in Jacksonville and St. Augustine, Florida. Yeah. And I was what they call a floater, and I would Doing work at yeah like local I, pharmacists. Yeah. Yeah, I would work at a different pharmacy. I would work at pharmacies covering vacations mm. for the pharmacists who were there permanently. Permanently, so I would work one or two weeks at a store, and then it would switch to a different store. And I had to be so adaptable, no matter where I went. And it was, and when I moved to Jacksonville, it was the first time that I was ever around people who talk like that. <laughs> So, because New Orleans doesn't have that southern accent. Ah, uh, they're close to like Atlanta, Georgia, like the, the Georgia, Alabama accents. Is that why? Oh, New Orleans accents are are very much kind of, they're, they sound a little bit like a Boston. Ah, uh, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's go. Want let's some go, coffee? Let's, you want some coffee, coffie? darling? Let's go, <laughs> darling, let's go park the car and have some coffee, darling. <laughs> it's, it's more like that. And I, I think I, I actually had a stigma of southern accents because mm. when i was a kid the first time and really the only time i was ever called a spick to my face was by one of my friend's older brothers who had, had he was much older than her he was married he'd come in and and was staying with them for a little while and he Aww. called me a spick so for those listening um a speak yeah. is um a derogatory word for anyone of hispanic um mm-hmm. origin it's the same way you might use the n-word for a black person exactly yeah and my dad had to I asked my dad, you know, I came home and said, Daddy, what, what is a spick? And he had a, he, he found it in, in a dictionary and he showed. Oh, he didn't even know that. Well, he, he knew what it was. But well, he, he wanted would, to show he, you. He wanted to show me the official version, Aww. you know. But um, the, the weird thing is that I, I, I had this stigma in my head of people Just with southern accents. Mm. To this day, I hate country music. <laughs> really? I Not do. even Don Williams or Kenny Rogers. Oh, no. no I need to, no, I need to no. induct you into country okay. music. But, yeah, I mean, I but, but, I mean, it's just this weird thing in my head. I hear the accent. But the funny thing, I mean, I'm, I'm past that. Oh, I know. Because I know. One, once I moved to Jacksonville, I became, because I was a pharmacist and helping people, yeah. I kind of felt more connected to that community. Mm. And I felt less threatened by them. And... And I felt empowered that if I did come across someone who was racist, because I did, yeah. I, you know, I was, I'd had my times where I was speaking Spanish to an elderly lady just mm. trying to help her, and the guy in line after her was upset, like, yeah, we're in America, you know, that, <laughs> that kind of a thing. America, not America, America. America. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, but I think, I think that be, being educated, having a career, being a pharmacist, knowing that I'm making doing something that is worthwhile and helping the community exactly i i think I, that empowered me to mm. kind of rise you know, above it. rise above it and at that time that was there was kind of a little bit of the skinhead kind of mentality was still happening yeah. and it really made me feel empowered like yes i'm cuban and deal you know deal with it uh yes i speak spanish how many languages do you speak i know i'm bilingual exactly honey mm-hmm. so you know and 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 in some ways like you know 
you don't scare me and dude um you're not worth my time <laughs> so i just i got this empowerment and i started to feel more comfortable with southern yeah with southern culture good. yeah so i mean a lot of that really i think that that just helps me feel better mm-hmm. you know and it got oh, rid of some of that shame and mm-hmm. embarrassment that uh-huh. that i felt okay hmm, so recently you showed me an analysis of your dna so first of all before i tell the audience what that was about what inspired you to get that? Was it a gift from Rick? Oh gosh, no. I had to like almost uh, bribe him to do his. Oh so. my goodness. No, I, no I, I, I really have always been very interested in, in just culture in general. Mm-hmm. And I just always wanted to know where I'm from. My father passed away when I was 18 years old. Yeah. So I know oh, that yeah. I don't have the ability, you know, and he was an only child. His parents are gone. So I don't have the ability to find out Ask. about my heritage. Yeah. And I think that also because when my parents came to the U.S., we had to leave everything, everything behind. behind yeah. So I'm always like wanting to know more about mm. my, my heritage. And um, you know, I, you only know I only know a little bit. Mm-hmm. I only knew that my parents and grandparents were from born in Cuba, but before that, yeah. all I knew was that um, you know Spain, and then one one line of the family tree was from um, Italy. That's all I knew. Mm. Um, Somebody messed around there somewhere. Mm. Uh-huh. And my grandmother, on my mother's side, um, my mom would always say that she, that she was um, indigenous to Cuba, her, uh-huh. her family line. So that that's something else that I knew. But I wanted to know more. And before you took the test, what were you thinking you, it was going to be like? Well, how did you imagine the results was going to be? Well, I, yeah, I, you know, I figured it, but it might have something. Um, I didn't know if it would, if the the Native American part would come out. Um, there's the Ta- Taino and the Sibone are two tribes, mm-hmm. but it doesn't get that detailed. So I, that was one part that I was curious, curious about. about. I was curious about it, what other part. I always wanted to be French. Mm. I've always wanted to be French. Hey, were well, you a Frenchman in a way? Well, yeah. Growing <laughs> up in New Orleans, like oh, yeah, people sure. kept asking me if I was French. They always thought I was French. Your nose, Greek. maybe? Maybe. Yeah, you I have was... that French nose. It's yeah. pointed and. Yeah. I don't know. Is that a racist statement to make? I don't know. I'll let them decide. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, people always ask me if I was French, Italian, or Greek. I can I see that. No, we. But so yeah, I used to always beg my dad, "Am I French? Am I French?" So, yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm French, Daddy. <laughs> So you took the test, and then yeah. you found out you were 7% Nigerian? Mm-hmm. My goodness. Two doors away from me was another Nigerian sister that I didn't even know was Nigerian. Yeah. How did that make you feel? It's, for one thing, I never, I didn't go in with any um, expectation of mm. feeling, of feeling good or bad about anything. Yeah. I'm just happy to know. But I am proud that I come from almost every continent on this world because part of me is a very small percentage is Asian yeah and then African and European and Native Americans so that to me that's like so cool so when I come home sister yeah when I come home to Nigeria invite no, me I mean. <laughs> invite me sister mm, yeah along the line I should yeah. but, but anyway it's glad to know and of course mm-hmm. I mean that was exciting to oh, know that you know it was very like a fellow exciting sister. but you know what you know what else too it made me realize what that in many ways that's the past. How so? Well, in the sense that, yes, I know, I wanted to know, I know, but does it have to define me? Oh, no. You know, it, it, I'm interested to know, but it, it's, not gonna ch- it's not going to make me act one way or another in the sense that it won't hold me back. I, I, know, I know so many people who feel like their heritage holds them back. Yeah. And I, I struggle with it just like everyone else yeah. does, but it doesn't. It can define me, but it doesn't have to define me. Because it's immutable. You can't change that. Mm-hmm. You just know the story. You're like, okay, 
Right. I have this aspect of me. Another thing that it made me realize is that there's no one, no one can really claim to be 100% something anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, look at you. If you hadn't told me that, I probably would just consider you Cuban, like all through and through. Mm-hmm. But your DNA tells you otherwise. Mm-hmm. So even though it might look a, 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 a same way, our DNA has a different story that it wants to tell. So like the concept of being racist and, you know, really mean to other people, that could very well be like your brother, like a distant brother or a cousin. Yes. You know, so. Yes. Uh, so um, recently you were promoted to an associate professor. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and so what has it been like for you, just career-wise? And um, yeah, let's start with that. Okay. Um, boy, it was a long time coming, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, it, it, it took a lot of hard work, even just to put the dossier together. I need to get tips on that. Yeah. Start oh, early. Start early. <laughs> but no matter what, you're still going to probably spend a lot of time doing it yeah. right at the end. Yeah. Um, it, it's, very, it's very gratifying for me. Yeah. Um, because of I again this is it's self-imposed it it's easy to feel like um, maybe you're not I'm talking about myself yeah you know, that, that I'm not worthy of something and that we create this system where we have this hierarchical system yeah. and you know you're an assistant professor and then you can get you get promoted to associate professor and then full then you, professor, then full professor yeah. um, that it's given me a confidence that to that I can walk around now and um, I just I noticed that I get put on more committees that I don't know if I would have been before I see I, I feel like my opinion is, is valued but again it might just be me thinking that but it's the way the tenure mm-hmm. track system is you know set up yeah if you don't get tenure to an associate professor it's like that's like the validity you need to move up the ladder from what I've heard mm-hmm. so yeah. I think it makes sense for you to feel that way mm-hmm. and, and, and part of me is really hating myself for feeling that way you know what I mean because yeah. it's Especially if you look at it from the outside, it's so artificial. Yeah, but there yeah. were many times when I didn't feel like my, for example, that my opinion was valued, mm. and um, I think it just gives me a boost of confidence to to speak up more. All right, along that line, and I'm like light years way down the ladder because I just started my career, and it was my first year. And um, thank you for all you helped me with. And um, one thing I know I really struggled with was that imposter syndrome. Mm. Like that feeling of just not feeling adequate. Now, there could be many reasons for that. You know, um, I've heard it said that women, we have a lot of mentors. Like most, especially women of color and women in academia, we have a lot of mentors, but very few sponsors. Mm. You know, and um, let me check. There's a way it was written somewhere. Let me read that out. I wanted to send this to you, but I forgot. It blew my mind because we've been getting it all wrong. We all think about mentorship. We don't have a lack of mentors. I think we have, we have been over-mentored and under-sponsored. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the differences. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Oh, yeah. I'll send this to you. Let's see. All right. So according to um, Lisa Tatum, she's the CEO of Landit. She said, even though mentors are important, women and people of color have historically been over-mentored and under-sponsored. One of the best things you can do is build a board of advisors consisting of five people. Mm. A mentor whom you can consult frequently for advice. We all have that person, mm-hmm. right? A sponsor who is your brand signifier. She talks you up and puts you in the room. Mm. Okay. A connector who links you to the people you should know. A point expert who has a wealth of knowledge in your field and shares it with you. And a close friend who gives you a safe space to, to ugly cry. And then it made sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like we all, we all have mentors. You know, we have people that we can 
call up and you know ask them about this and that but then think about sponsors someone that can talk you up and put you in a room that can connect you to people that you need to be i, I don't think we have enough of that i did not have that see there you go Boy. there you go wow there you go we, we focus so much on mentoring we forget that yes. mentoring is good but it's just half the job but now that you're an associate professor do you still struggle with that feeling of not if you feel like not being validated enough Yes, I, I do. Would you say it's reduced somewhat or is it just about the same? It has, it has reduced. Okay. Definitely has better. reduced. Yes. Ah, yes. Good. Um, and I do think that the more that you get outside of the four walls of, of our college mm-hmm. and be around other faculty. Uh, like bonding with them. Bonding with other faculty and, and um, interacting with people from other universities and other colleges mm-hmm. because you might feel that you're experience is unique um and talking to others by yourself like mm-hmm. that culture of you know i'm by myself because that yeah. imposter syndrome it, it thrives in isolation mm-hmm. but when you hear somebody that you think has had that has it all together tell you oh no that affects me so i'm like oh, i'm not the only one right you know right. well and also too um when i first started i was the only after there were there were myself and one other person we were the only two female faculty of color and and she left about two years after i started there so for a while there i was the only one and so that feels very isolating Mm, mm. but a lot has changed yes a a lot has changed of course (laughs) but truly yeah i mean it's different now you know over the past few years we've hired more women and more women of color and i i feel you know it's gotten better at the same time, um, just knowing your self worth and finding out, being very clear with what what you can, what you have to contribute, yeah, and making sure that others know what you have to contribute, mm. and, and having validation that what you have to contribute is is a value. Yeah, I want to just say something. How we met? I forgot to introduce how we met. So I met you probably about two three years ago, and I was introduced to you formally, you know, um, by my advisor, mm-hmm. Dr. Brown. And she's like, hey, meet Lourdes. Um, this is my current PhD student, and she's in the job market. If you know of any openings, let her know. And I've, I've told you this before, but I don't, know, I don't know if you remember. But one thing you did spectacularly well, because this was at a conference, by the way. Yeah. And I'm sure you received a lot of business cards, and you probably exchanged a lot of business cards with people. I gave you my card, and you promised to email me because you, you think there was an opening in, right. your, you know, in your program. Yeah. And sincerely, I've had a lot of people tell me that, but they never, you have to be the one to follow up normally. But one thing I thought you did very amazing well was months down the line, probably maybe six months down the line, when that job opening came up, even before it became, you know, public, mm-hmm. like just when it was out, before they posted it to like the major job boards, you emailed it to me, mm-hmm. that you remembered me. I was like, wow. Aww. You know, and that stayed with me. That stayed with me because it was about the only time somebody said they were going to do something and they did it. Because mm. usually ha- you have to be the one chasing people around and asking them, hey, um, we met at a conference, that, that awkward follow-up email oh, you always sent. Yeah. But you remembered and you sent that to me. And, you know, um, I wouldn't say that the reason why I'm in Oklahoma right now, but you contributed mm. to that reason. Aww. Seriously, you, 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 and I didn't, I haven't said that much to you, but mm. to me that felt like support right there. Like, that felt like support. And, mm. It made sense because I still feel that I supported with you. And um, sometime last month, I hit, I hit like, a, I don't know, I was just, 
having a very difficult time with a grant application I was putting together. And I'd email you like, hey, Lord, can you spare me some, some time? I want to, I need you as my sounding board. And like, yeah, mm-hmm. come on over to my office. So I walked two doors down. I was like, can I present this to you as a lay person? Mm-hmm. And you listened to me and gave me feedback. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, to me, that's support right there. Because as a new faculty, one of the things you need is just that real-time feedback you can get from people face-to-face. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could have emailed to somebody else, but then given that there was a deadline around the corner mm-hmm. and um, you have to wait for the person to reply you oh, right. at their convenience. So those are the things that I really, really you know, cherish about you, just how very supportive you are to me. And I want to encourage anyone out there, kind of like me, starting a new job, find yourself a Lordy's. You know, or even better, if you're listening and you're on the other side, be allergic to somebody and um, support them as best as you can. Or even if you're on the other receiving end, find somebody that can support you and see how you can just navigate this whole world of career, mm-hmm. whatever, together. So thank you for that, Lordy. You're welcome. My gosh, you're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> and she's blushing right now. Um, but um, I wanted to just touch on one thing. So I know you got married when you're 20 something mm-hmm. and then you waited 17 years. How many years to have kids? Ah, uh, about between t- uh, 12, 12, 12, 12 13 to 13 years. years, yeah. And my goodness, mm-hmm. <sighs> balancing kids and being a new faculty member, mm-hmm. what was the toughest thing? Wow, that was hard. I used to always think to myself, um, I got the tenure clock and I got the biological <laughs> clock. <laughs> Which one was trending faster? Which one is going faster, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I, I put the biological clock first. Yeah. I, I really did, and uh, I don't regret it. Um, sometimes things happen in life, and th- everyone's different, but I wanted to be in, in what I thought was a stable position, happy at my job, and thinking that I would be where I was going to be for a while mm-hmm. and, and put down some roots. Mm-hmm. So my life was never stable until mm-hmm. we were here, and that took some time because after getting married, two years later I go to grad school yeah. and so that takes time and then moving to a whole other state mm-hmm. when to kind of get a feel for it am I gonna stay here and then by that time I'm in my late 30s and uh, it's not as easy and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah but um, one of the things is that um, I don't know if people think about when they select their spouse they may you know they fall in love with them and all that but think about what kind of a parent they're gonna be because I, I do think that I won the lottery Mm. In, in the parent yeah. department, the husband's he's, department. <laughs> he sells the he sells ballet shoes. He sells ballet point <laughs> shoes. My gosh! I mean, come on. Oh my goodness! He's I've met Rick. He's such a. It's, I think he was meant to be a dad. Yes. He reminds me of a Papa Bear, but in a very, mm-hmm. you know, um, um, teddy bear, cute mm-hmm. way. Yeah. He's um, a very uh, generous and giving person. Yeah, he is. And. Uh, you know, I don't even think that I realized that when I met him. Yeah. But over the years, I mean, we had a dog. You know how that goes. <laughs> I got to see how he might be as a parent, the way he mm. took care of our dog. Oh, my gosh. Really? I did. He don't I did. Dog. So, women out there, if, if you were thinking about having what kids. What if they're not a dog person? Don't give them that advice. Okay. I thought so, I was okay. a dog person. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poor Lola. She was a show she dog. Was a show she dog. was not a show dog. She was a show, show dog. dog. I know. But yeah, no, seriously, we had a dog for like 12 years. and Brandy, um, right? Brandy. Yeah. Oh, beautiful Australian Shepherd. Yeah. When I saw that man with that dog, it's like that was, Aww. that solidified it. This guy is meant to be a dad. Aww. So yeah, whether it's a cat, a dog, iguana, whatever. <laughs> or an imaginary cat. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's good. So two, you have two kids now, right? Yes. If they were ever going to listen to this podcast, what would you like to tell Brandon and Emma? Oh my gosh. And what kind of, what, what would be your hopes for them? My, well, I always say, uh, when I say my prayer every morning and every night, I always pray that they be safe, healthy, and happy. Mm. That, that's, that's what I want for them. Mm. For them to be mm. safe, healthy, and happy. Yes. You guys are really giving them the very best. I mean, between Emma's ballet recitals and all the many extracurricular <laughs> activities she's in, and also Brandon, I mean, they're getting the very best. And then Thanks. just so much love between you and, and, and Rick and we're just we're doing we're trying just every, every day is a struggle and every day you just you know want to make sure you do you can do your best as a parent it's it's hard parenting is the the most challenging and the most wonderful role that I've ever had yeah. I have this little um, I love Mary Anglebright as you know yes you introduced me to her yes. thank you very much <laughs> and I have this little cartoon of there's this little girl with this little mischievous look on her face and she has a bowl and inside the bowl there are all these pieces of paper like mother sister coach teacher blah blah, blah all yeah. these different and, and then the, the caption says lives get oh. one and I sometimes I think I have too many lives <laughs> But, um, but you know, being a professional woman, yeah. um, it's it's hard. And and how, you know, I go drop my kids off at school, and I see the moms walking around. I hope I don't offend anyone, but you see the moms dropping their kids off, and they're in their yoga pants and their yeah. athletic wear. And I'm like, you're gonna go work out, aren't you? You're <laughs> I'm gonna, gonna go sleep night to five. I know, I know. You're gonna go. Like, your body's perfect. And Those you're gonna people. Go, yeah. <laughs> Those moms. So, so yeah, you know, I can't, I can't be there for every single Halloween party yeah. and every party at school. You know, just try to do the best we can. That's where, why it's so important to have a supportive spouse. Yeah. You know, um, I'm very fortunate and blessed that um, that I don't have that I have a spouse who is you know willing to cook dinner if, if he's home before so me. So ballet shoes as well. So ballet shoes, <laughs> yes. If you have a girl that wants to be on point. Oh yeah. You go buy the shoe, and the they give you the laces, and they say here, sew them on. Oh my goodness. Because every foot is different, so. And they outgrow the shoes. That. Like mm-hmm. she's not, you know, stage where she's like sprouting like a little bean. Yeah. And if it keeps growing. If it, yep, yeah, just got another one. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, having so, a good spouse is important, and yeah. just knowing that you're not going to be perfect. Yeah. Because you can't. Um, I should be taking notes, that. right? Oh, <laughs> good spouse. I think I have that. You already. have a wonderful spouse, yes. And then, no perfect. Really, I can't be perfect as a parent. That blows. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I, it's really nice watching you, Eric. I mean, I haven't known you guys for long, but just the way you are very tender with your kids and mm-hmm. very giving and giving. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really humbling to see, you know. And I have so many people like you around me. It's it's nice to see, and you're very open about the struggles as well. Because usually yeah. people just tell you, "Oh yeah, it's fantastic," but they miss out on the struggles. But you're very open mm-hmm. about the struggles. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Um, now to the Mardi Gras section of the podcast. Welcome to the Mardi Gras section. And the question you have chosen is this one. Last night's dream came true. What was it before and after of it? Hmm, gosh. Well, I had two, like a two-part dream. Mm-hmm. And you know that one of them is a, is a recurring dream that I have. I love to travel. Mm-hmm. 
So in the dream, I'm supposed to go on some international flight and uh, I'm late to the airport. That always happens to me. Yeah? In real life or in your dream? There <laughs> <laughs> it is. I've only missed my flight once. Okay. okay. But in my dream, yes. Surely early morning flights. Yes, I've only missed a flight once too. Yeah, yeah. early morning flights. I, I don't sleep because I'm so nervous to miss mm -hmm. my flight. But go on with your dream. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just that, um, well, it, I'm, I'm running through the airport and it's like they've stopped everything for me. Isn't that nice? You know, Such hey, let her, let, her, let her through the line. <laughs> yes, let her through the line. Her flight is in like seven minutes. And um, I just have to run and run and run and run and get and I'm like jumping over things. Kind of like you're probably not old enough to remember the O.J. Simpson Hertz commercials where he's running through the airport and jumping over things. That, that's me. before he shot Nicole. Oh, exactly. Sorry, before Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Stabby. Yeah. Stabby O.J. Right. So, yeah, it's like going through the the airport and people are like throwing my uh, throwing my bags to people and I'm like okay we'll get another plane for you're so you. dramatic yeah that's the dramatic side of you <laughs> oh oh yeah oh yeah and then funny you know finally getting on the plane and like it's this little comfy seat and sit in there and, and they except this time I, I woke up before yeah no this time I, I missed the plane in the past I they've got I've gotten on the seat but this time I missed the plane you finally missed the plane I missed the wow. plane I know um, I walked up and they were just taking the little thing away and it, it's going off. I'm like, oh. That's but there a was, dream. Oh, I know. It's a nightmare right there. But there's another part of my dream that I sometimes have, but not as often, is that I'm working in a pharmacy. I haven't worked in a pharmacy in years. In years. Yeah. And, yeah. And um, I don't know, Chewbacca comes in. Chewbacca? Chewbacca comes into the <laughs> pharmacy. <Star Trek? laughs> yes. Star Trek, girl. Sorry, Star, Star Wars. Wars. See, you can tell I'm not a Trekkie oh, or a warrior person. Star yeah. Wars, I always mix those two up. Okay. Yeah, but go ahead. We, we got some movies to watch. Star, so I know Chewbacca is from Star Wars. And yeah. And Han Solo and Princess Leia. I know the characters. Okay, good. Skywalker. I know the character, but I just never watched it. Yeah. I'm not a science fiction kind of girl. Okay. It's too vivid for my imagination. Well, we don't want that. We don't want You'd that. You'd be jumping out of your seat. Oh my goodness. Star, don't put me out there. <laughs> I'm very jumpy when it comes to watching movies. <laughs> well, anyways, go ahead. Chewbacca came to the pharmacy. Yeah. You have a Chewbacca fetish you don't know about. I don't know. Mm. I, that's where, well, I, it's, well, it's, more of a Har it's more of a Han Solo. And since he's his buddy, maybe that's it. Hmm. But yeah, that's part of my dream. I'm, I'm working in, in a pharmacy and dispensing prescriptions. So That could have different meanings, but I'm not a psychoanalyst, mm. so you probably want to take that over your oh, psychotherapy. Exactly. So. But anyway, so this is what I did. When you're in the end, do you have any final thoughts? And hmm. Well, I do want to thank you for the opportunity. That's my line. Oh, okay. <laughs> but go ahead, go ahead. No, I I want to thank you for so many things. Just to be able to be on this forum and and to to share some of my experiences and thoughts. Yeah. It's it's very gratifying. Yeah. Just to be in your home and. You always welcome here. You, it's like your fifth time here, or maybe sixth time. I know. Time. You should come here more often. I should. I should sleep over. We should have sleepovers. Oh, we can bring Jill. Yes. We can even have a wine party and go swim outside in the pool. Yeah. In the summer, we should do that. Yes. Ah, that we should do. Good idea. Yes. Definitely good idea. But okay. no, I just being in your home, being welcomed into your home, into your life, it's wonderful. I have such a huge heart. You do. I think my my body kind of makes up for that as well. <laughs> That should be my next time. I'm telling you, added weight. Well, 
I'm making space for my heart. It's like an extension. Right? That's right. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. And we just watched Black Panther together. I mean, how cool was that? Yeah. Uh, you made me watch it, though, because I really have an intention of watching it. Yeah, for those listening, yes. Um, yeah, come, come get me. Come get me at my house. But that was, I thought it was an okay movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I watched it with you because we, we have we've had a lot of conversations around it. I still wouldn't buy into the hype. Mm-hmm. Kanda forever, Black Panther, things mm-hmm. like that. But I think it was an okay movie, and I I like that. Um, on a consciousness level, I wish for people to keep talking about, especially the relationships between Africans and African Americans. Mm-hmm. But now that note has died down, until the next, you know, yeah, you know, Black conscious movie comes out, and that's I think that was one of the problems I had with it mm-hmm. as a whole. I feel like it was just too much noise without substance. Mm-hmm. But I do get it, you know. It was the first time we we're having like an all black cast for something as big as a platform on Marvel Comics. Yes. You know, but my fear was it was detracting from the main conversation. Well, I, I, this is the first time I've ever seen a movie even have a situation where there's any conflict between um, an African American and an and an on African. A, yeah, on a on a on a major big on a big screen. Yes. Uh, you that know. was fascinating. And I, I liked how they handled it because those conflicts are always there. And I mean. Yeah. I've talked about this on the podcast with, you know, other guests as well. And I liked how it was, you know, properly illustrated. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was about connection, you know, mm-hmm. where you feel at home. And so I, I thought the movie was good in that area. But um, there's some other things I read in by, like, the Korean-speaking part. Like, no, no. You would know. She she didn't. She tried, but the accent was just oh. way off. And I, I'm still learning. But that's very fickle. But uh, there's some other things I thought the club don't. You sound like me when I hear when I watch uh, m- movies with uh, set in New Orleans. I'm like, that's not a New Orleans <laughs> accent. It was the African accent, like, oh, let the challenge begin. Black, black Panther. Like, who talks that way? You laughed at one point in the movie, and I'm like, I bet she's laughing because the accent's <laughs> off. You <laughs> were. The was that. I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> but it was nice to watch it with you. It was I felt like I was watching with a sister, like mm-hmm. my seven percent Nigerian sister. We are. So I'm glad I watched it, even though it was like five months down the line. But mm-hmm. hey, it is what it is. So it's not going on Facebook. I finally. No, I figured that. You know, it's not gonna go <laughs> I like you. check in. No, it's not. <laughs> It's not because I'm not even ready to having that conversation. Like, yeah, and I, I wouldn't do things because people expect me. People to do will it. judge you. You are an imposter. I don't care. Like, I know who I am. I'm probably I African. Know. See, that's what I was telling you about. African, like, <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt. Like, as a as a Cuban, yeah. you know, like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I, I think also the older you get, the more you realize that you know what. Yes. It just you can't. You just have to be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. And if I don't want to watch a movie because I don't want to watch it yet, and I'm glad I watched it with you. Thank you. I'm glad Thank to have watched you. it with you as well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and finally, if you could do anything differently with your immigration journey and all of that, or mm-hmm. just career life and things like that, what's one thing you would do differently? Oh my gosh. Let me see. But I still have my body. <laughs> It's to be you. I'll be me, okay. Yeah. So I can't be like a dancer. Not with this body. You want to be a dancer? I can see that. I, I haven't gone love... dancing yet, so I wouldn't be able oh, to Oh, yeah. That. Well, you know what? I, I will say this. I, I, and I have seen one of my cousins who I admire very much do so much beautiful art. She has taken all these courses, and she has very, a lot of natural talent. Mm. I, I have this outlet that I want to be creative. I want to I wanna paint. I, and I just feel like I don't get enough of that in my life. So... To be uh, someone who, but see, I don't know how I would do this. 
an art major or just just try to paint and yeah something do, something more do, creative you do have a flair for that because i know you you love art i do you know yeah. and then your kids they're very artistic as well so maybe that's like an option of that I think I probably drowned it out with all of the chemistry and the, oh, the yeah. pharmacy sciences. Yeah. But part of me, but you know, now being a faculty member and doing research and teaching, we yeah. get to be creative, but in different ways. I, I, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, I want to feed, I would want to find something that helps me feed that creative urge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. That, that's a very good answer. Well balanced answer. Well, that was it. This this was the Merciful podcast, and I just had a lengthy interview with my. I don't know if I, could, I should call you friend. I feel like friend is is a little watered down. What's the right term for you, ladies? My your sister friend. Maybe your sister friend. Yeah, because mm -hmm. friend just sounds like almost like we are peers, but we're not. You're my senior. <coughs> so my sister friend, Lourdes, who is an associate professor at the College of Pharmacy, University of Oklahoma, where I work as well. And we've talked about her journey from Cuba, when she was one month old to one month New Orleans, and then living a bit in Florida to moving to Oklahoma City, and then starting on a tenure track, delaying a little bit to have kids, and um, all of the challenges and the bright sides of that. And it's really been wonderful just, you know, having a natural conversation with you, Lourdes. And thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Mossable Podcast. Um, don't forget to go on iTunes and subscribe to give more visibility to the podcast. And if you love this content, um, please go ahead and also leave a comment. And um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. I remain your host, Mosibo. Pongo, dile que ya voy.